This is Sonic 16 Presents. back everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and today i'm honored to be speaking with multi-instrumentalist photographer podcaster chess enthusiast and cigar aficionado kurt ozon kurt thanks so much for taking some time for me how are you doing i'm great man yeah thanks for having me on it's funny like music and photography podcast that sounds like the title of my podcast should be called if i had my own <laughs> Which I don't, but that's, that's cool. Right. I like your your title there. Very simple and to the point. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, the you know, these things uh, touch a lot of us. It's uh, images and song is how we humans uh, convey our storytelling, right? Or, or two big ways we do it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, you, you made a good point there. This should be your podcast, probably. I did get to see you in action doing both of these things back in uh, November. You... You went out and photographed uh, uh, Ashley McBride's show, and then an hour later, you were up on the stage uh, uh, bringing the heat on the guitar. So I got to see you in action doing both of these things. So again, just really appreciate your time. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm, you know I love music, and you know I love photography, so I'm always happy to talk about it. All right. Well, just and and maybe we can kind of breeze through some of the beginning basics, but tell us how you got started. What was that initial spark that made you want to pick up a guitar? Actually, I was just telling the story the other day, and it's kind of a funny story. Um, long, short story long, I guess, is that <laughs> my dad played guitar a, a little bit, and he wasn't okay. like a big player at all, but he had played a little bit as a, you know as a kid or whatever and i think maybe did some busking like when he was living in paris and stuff like that so he's always played a little bit you know he's not like wasn't like trained or anything but he's always played a little bit and when my mom was pregnant with me she sent my dad out to go buy paint for the nursery and my dad was gone she said he was gone for hours which is something my dad still does to this day he'll like you send him to the grocery store to get a, you know, a loaf of bread. He'll come back with, you know, a baguette from one place. And then, you know, he'll just <laughs> go out and just buy a bunch of food or whatever. But in this instance, he went out and was gone. And my mom's like, where is Errol? And this is before <laughs> cell phones and stuff like that. And he finally comes home, no pain at all, but has a new guitar in ant that he bought. In garage. <laughs> he, I guess he drove by a garage sale or something. Right. So he had bought this Moss Rite, which is like a California-made surf rock guitar, and was started playing it again, I guess. But he never really 
stuck with it, I guess, but he had bought it. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually also bought paying for the nursery. And here's 11, 12 years later, it was Christmas time. And my, my dad is kind of a hard guy to buy for because he just has things that he likes already. Right. So my mom was always trying to find interesting ways to get him gifts. And this one thing she did this year when I was actually I was 10 was she got his guitar set up and like kind of restored because that had just been sitting for a decade. And she was with her friend Peggy and they're driving home from the guitar store and they had just dropped it off and picked it up after being repaired. And Peggy said, you know, it'd be kind of fun for Kurt if him and his dad could play guitar together. Why don't you you should get him a guitar. And so my mom turned the car around, drove back to Mars Music, bought a guitar, and you know, like a <laughs> beginner acoustic guitar. And then that's what right. I got for Christmas that year. Okay. And I've been playing ever since. So did he teach you or did you take more formal lessons or how no, did you learn? I've, I've taken like formal lessons on guitar or drums or whatever since I was about 10. I've just always been a studious musician. Some people learn by year and some you know learn through doing i've always just been like kind of taking lessons the whole time you know at the music college and i've just always really enjoy love sitting down with somebody better than me and learning for them directly right i just for me it's faster and it's not always better there's so much to learn from like transcribing things by ear and stuff but i've just always taken lessons and i just always think it's really fun Right. Yeah. Well, you t- talked about college. I mean, what what is a formal collegiate music curriculum like? I mean, what 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 do they make you do to earn a degree in music? I mean, that's a whole podcast episode on itself. <laughs> but you know, it's like you got to learn your scales and arpeggios and repertoire, and it depends on what school you go to and what's what your major is and all that. But for me, it was a lot of scales and improv and sight reading and uh, ear training and harmony and all sorts of different things like that. Right. What was that experience like being with other talented musicians who were also there at school with you? What was that? I mean, did you push each other forward, I guess, to learn? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like part of the big reason why you pay to go to school is because you go from being the big fish in the little pond then you go to a school with 3,000 musicians. Right. And they're all, you know, they're not all incredible, but most of them are as good as you are or better. So it's just like you're constantly surrounded by amazing talent, both in the faculty and the students. And so it's you're always able to go, whoa, that was cool. How'd you do that? What is that <laughs> like? What does that chord change? Like, teach me, you know, so it's just like you just get as much out of it as you put into it. This is what I, what I always say. And I right. put a lot into it and I learned a lot and it was, it was really incredible. A lot of the stuff I learned doesn't translate into like a real world experience necessarily, but I think right. just having a larger grasp on music helped me adapt my learning to whatever challenges I face as a professional musician. Sure. Sure. And this was at Berkeley in Boston, right? That we're talking yeah, Berkeley about College music. Yeah. You know, how did your parents feel about that? Were they supportive or did they try and talk you into getting like a nine to five desk job or how no, did that go? My parents, have, my parents have always been like literally the best parents ever. And uh, one of the many examples is just how they've 
nurtured my love of music and uh, were supportive of me and trying to become a professional musician. Right. Right. Like I tell stuff to my parents, like to my friends, I'm like, oh yeah, like I remember I saw Pat Metheny when I was like a teenager and they were like, wait, what? I'm like, oh yeah, my dad would take me to like jazz concerts all the time. Oh wow. And and they're like, oh my God, my dad just like drank too much or whatever. I'm like, oh, ooh. <laughs> but um, right. yeah, so I've always had very supportive parents that are very interested in the arts too. So even to this day, like when I submit images to a client, I always send them to my parents and they're always like, oh, we love this photo. We, you know, like they're always still right. um, just still involved in it, which is fun. Yeah, that's cool, man. So, so what was sort of the goal at that stage in college? What, what did you want to do with all oh. of it? <laughs> well, when I first started going, I had no idea. You know, it's just music was the only like thing I was like really good at comparative, you know, anyone else i guess that i knew and i was a lot better than, than anything else i was doing so it just kind of made sense and that's just what i was passionate about i went to school i didn't really know i was like kind of interested in like writing and like maybe even like film scoring and stuff right and then i, so I took like a half credit intro to film scoring class and it was just like i just want to practice and i just want to play and i just want to be music i just want to play guitar for a living i, I think i decided early and then so, so when I went there, I kind of like was a rock player and then I dove into like learning to play jazz. And then I was trying to learn to play. You know, I just try to learn everything. And my logic was just to be as versatile of a musician as I could to right. increase the chances that I get hired to play on a gig or on a recording or whatever. Right. So that eventually, maybe, hopefully, one day before I die, I could pay my bills with music. It was kind of like my long-term goal, you know, right. whether it was teaching or playing or whatever, recording. Right. And so then to continue on that path, you, after Berkeley, went to Belmont in Nashville to go for a graduate degree? Is that Was that the Yeah, point? yeah. So I, I graduated in 2009, and then I was kind of, I was playing weddings and i was working in restaurants and i was teaching a lot of lessons and so it, in some ways i was paying my bills with music right and i was like i said playing a lot of weddings and you know we called it in boston you call it gb gigs which stands for general business mm -hmm. but i was you know doing that kind of stuff like cover gigs and stuff right and teaching but you know i was having supplemented with some restaurant work and it was kind of like I seemed to hit my ceiling in Boston because the music scene there is not good. Right. I mean, there's pockets of it that are great, but it just wasn't what I was doing. I had friends in Nashville that were doing really well. And so I thought, I'll go to Nashville. I'll get a degree. If I end up playing for a living, great. If not, I'll have a master's. Then I could just teach at college. Right. Because I, I thought I'd, at one point, I thought I wanted to be on the faculty at Berkeley. Okay. Just yeah. I, I really did like it a lot. Right. You didn't have one of those uh, whiplash type of uh, professors, did you? Oh, I've had some weird teacher experiences, of course. Yeah. Um, but the worst experience I've ever had was at Belmont by really? a very wide margin. Yeah. I was saying the class was called like recording for instrumentalists, and it was only master's level students. Right. So, you know, there's drummers, singers, there's a fiddle player, 
bass player, guitar, all different kind of instrumentalists were supposed to learn to record their own instrument. That was the mm -hmm. point of the class. Well, the professor must have, I think he like got sick or like transferred or something. So there was a replacement teacher and this guy was just, ooh, I hated him so much. The worst <laughs> teacher I've ever had. And I've been very blessed to have a lot of extremely excellent, like loving, smart, talented teachers. But right. this guy was just like the worst teacher ever. And no so way. we're taking this class to learn how to record ourselves, which is something I do all the time now as a professional musician. Right. And so I'm thinking this is going to be like signal chain, audio interfaces, you know, all of this time, you know, type of like studio thing. So I know how to record guitar or whatever. But we spent the first half of the semester learning about the anatomy of the inner ear, which like wasn't even on the <laughs> It was horrible. And right. we would have to do things like our quizzes where he would play like pink noise and mm -hmm. cut a frequency and you have to like write what frequency it was. <laughs> it, was it was just like, I mean, that's good to know. Right. But it's like so far removed from practicality, I think. And everyone hated him. And everyone, the whole class hated the guy. It was like a nightmare experience. <laughs> Well, thankfully, uh, maybe you don't have to lean as much on on that plan B because you did get hooked up with some artists pretty early on in Nashville, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, um, I, you know, I came to town thinking I would be a guitar player only. Right. And I ended up getting more work, like sort of being a Swiss utility knife kind <laughs> of a thing. Right. Covering a bunch of different instruments in the band. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. And the touring and studio work at a Nashville level, I guess that was maybe a little bit more at a higher level than what you had done previously, maybe back in uh, Florida where you grew up or in Boston or, or similar. Yeah, I think I was actually telling the story the other day when I was visiting Nashville for the first time, I hadn't moved here yet. Uh, I went to a bar with some friends to go see some music and the mm. first singer i heard in nashville was carly pierce actually okay and i and she sounded great and i was like wow everyone in nashville must be incredible because i just thought this was like a random night a random person singing of course now she has a couple of big fat hit number one songs and a record deal and all this and that but um <laughs> i just i thought that that was the case and you know when i moved here and played some shows i found that very quickly that that was not the case but there there's so many musicians in town that you get a lot more of the best and you know some of the worst of course but there's just so many incredible musicians in nashville that yeah that the level is a lot higher here especially compared to like a place like where i was living in fort lauderdale it just didn't really have a strong unified music scene right that makes sense. So was was your first touring done after you got to Nashville or had you done any of that beforehand? Uh, no, my first touring was in Nashville. I, I had done some like overnight gigs, like where we would be like the house band at a bar right. for a couple nights in a row. Like we would drive from Boston to Maine and they'd put us up for a couple nights and we would just wake up and walk around and hike and have fun and then play the gig at night. 
go to sleep and do it again the next day kind of thing, but nothing like being on a tour bus or you right. Know. Right. Cause I didn't know. And I didn't even know anyone that really toured. Yeah. That makes sense. So I was so, I didn't know anyone that had a record deal. I didn't know anyone that had a publishing deal or had a band that could tour or how you did that. Right. Now, you know, it's like every day I'm hanging out with people on a tour bus or in my phone, I have contacts of people with record deals or, you know, it's like, right. it's happening in Nashville more so than, you know, just any regular city, of course. Right. Right. And we sort of buried the lead here because you are currently touring with Luke Combs, which is kind of a big deal for sure. And I'm, I imagine that experience must be um, like the, the ultimate of a tour, touring experience. Is that fair to say? <laughs> uh yes absolutely it is fair <laughs> yeah. i've been really lucky to tour some great folks right but luke is the best for sure yeah like i've well, heard some horror stories about my friends playing with other acts and different things and luckily i just haven't had that problem right and well playing with luke is it's incredible just because first and foremost is like the music is so good Right. He's such a great dude. He treats us all so well. Um, the crew is great. Um, the band is, you know, we're we're okay. <laughs> and but like, like the staff and the crew take care of us really well. And it's just so much fun. Everyone in the whole camp gets it. Everyone does their job to a very high level, but can have fun and hang. If that makes sense. It's like the best of many different worlds. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, for anyone who might have been under a rock and not know who Luke Combs is, he is the reigning entertainer of the year. And that's, you know, in my mind, that's a big deal because it's not just about him and his music. That's that's like a reflection of all of all of you, the band and all of the guys pulling cables and setting yeah. up lights and for sure running the boards. So, yeah, I've been able to see you guys twice and it's you put on a, a great a great show thank you so much my uncle when luke won entertainer of the year my uncle called me he's like hey congrats on entertainers of the year <laughs> like uh uncle steve i don't think that's the name of the right the award there no no i get it but um so the other reason this is significant is that once you started touring with luke you met this guy named uh, david bergman who is the tour photographer and that kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've met David. That's where I met him also was on this tour, taking this workshop that I referenced at the beginning where you were uh, photographing Ashley's concert because you mm -hmm. got to know him, got, was that your introduction to photography or did you have an interest in it before then? I never even thought about photography before. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah. It was just kind of like I never even thought about it as like a artistic format or medium or whatever, or I never thought about it as something I could do. Yeah, I just I seemed to be like a photographer that it was just like this really high ceiling or something. Right. Which is funny because it's like getting into photography now is it's as easy as it's ever been because every person that owns a smartphone is a photographer. <laughs> whether That's they consider themselves one or not is a different story but um but to answer your question yes uh, david bergman is what inspired me to get into photography because we've had a lot of tour photographers but 
none of them were as good as he was and none of them photographed the band you know it's always about luke but david would photograph the band the location you know the venue and everything just from the tiny details to the the big picture stuff and i just find it really inspiring and we were at houston rodeo in 2019 in march of 2019 i think and we were standing him and i were just chatting and next to us was a pen with some sheep in it and i said hey can i try taking a picture with your camera and uh camera nerds it was a <laughs> Canon 1dx mark ii with a 24 to 105 on it and so right. he said sure and so he set the camera up for me and i looked through it and pushed the button and uh, you know a couple of days later he sent me the image i took and it was just a sheep poking its head through <laughs> the barrier right and i thought oh cool like i did that of course bergman really he set the exposure for me and <laughs> put it on autofocus and all that but right so that i was like "Ooh, i like that yeah um so i know so i said hey bergman if i buy a camera will you teach me how to use it and so he was like yeah sure it but it has to be a canon though because he's a canon photographer and um so that's how i got into photography and i'll tell you bergman doesn't know this yet but i just bought him a camera oh wow so Bergman never bought me a camera, not yet at least, but I'm giving him this tomorrow because I've oh, been wow. getting to film again. Yeah. And so for all those of you, since there's no video on this podcast, right. uh, I hope not. I've been picking my nose the whole time. Uh, <laughs> this is a little, I bought him this little Canon rangefinder. It's called the Canon at QL17. Right. Yeah. So it's a QL means quick loading and 17 is the widest aperture of 1.7. So it's right. a fun little rangefinder with a fixed uh, focal length of 40 millimeters, and I hope he likes it. And I it's got so. this flash, which has TTL compatibility, so he can just <laughs> He'll have that uh, mounted up in the lighting rig, I'm sure. Yeah, I hopefully hopefully he uses it. I wish I could have some film in it. Here we go. Listen to this shutter. That's not the best sounding shutter, but it'll take a good photo. So 2019 is when you got started, mm-hmm. 2020 pandemic, of course, a lot of time on your hands, kind of explored some of the different possibilities with creativity and photography. Is that how you spent some of that time? How, how did you get deeper into it? I guess is what my question is. I think like one of the things that got me hooked is like, I would always shoot like the bands that opened for us or were right. played after us, you know? Right. Um, and when when they would use my images for their socials mm-hmm. it, it kind of gave me a rush right you know, you know like, <laughs> like, I'm like i'm actually good enough to take photos for jameson rogers like social media or something and so that just really fueled my wanting to do it more because i thought it was really fun and it gave me a goal to like make good work you know good enough for people to enjoy looking at and sharing i guess right sure but when we weren't touring i was you know sitting at home a lot Mm-hmm. and uh so i was just doing i did a lot of self-portraits and i love off-camera lighting it's like one of my favorite things about photography is creating all the light in an image or supplementing natural light or doing all different things so one thing i really enjoyed doing was uh you know some self-portraits and i did you know portraits of my girlfriend and our pets and stuff and you know when i got kind of tired of that i was like getting more into it product photography like you mentioned cigars so 
I was photographing all the cigars I smoked or my guitars or, you know, like my, my old Jeep, stuff like that. Just right. with, with flashes and macro lens and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, you were crushing it, though. I, I remember seeing one. I think you had made a watch image and I was scrolling through Instagram and, and I thought it was an ad the, at first when I saw it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did watch it, too. Watches are tough. Yeah. Well, that's why those guys that shoot those watches make bank. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, well, going back to the film, kind of what did inspire that? I don't know. I think photography is really fun. I love I love learning and right. it kind of got to the point where I was capable with a digital camera. Right. You know, when I had my first camera, it was kind of like, you know, the struggle of getting everything in focus and exposed properly. And I kind of got the ability to do that. And then it was like, well, I want to try to make some images. And then, you know, I was mainly shooting concert photography. And then I got to the point where I felt comfortable finding the moments and getting a couple good photos from a show and like, I feel confident about this. And then it, doing it started to feel more like I was a concert photographer than I was just shooting for fun. Right. And then, so I, once I was like able to do it, it just kind of like the excitement wasn't there as much. So then I was like browsing photos online on like Flickr or like Reddit or whatever. And I was constantly being drawn towards the film ones. I just love the look of it. I'm like, that looks so cool. It looks so cool. And I remember I had bought a Olympus SLR film camera. Mm -hmm. I was out for a jog and we were in Green Bay. And there was like a mile or two away from the bus. There was a yard sale and there was this wedding photographer who's selling his kit. And I was like, it was $15 with everything. So I ran back to the bus, grabbed the 20 ran back, gave it to him, took the bag, came home, and I posted on my Instagram story, like, before I bought it, like, should I buy this? And everyone's like, yeah, buy it. That'd be cool. And then my buddy, Jason Myers, was like, man, like, don't buy that. It's just going to take up room, like, <laughs> and you're, you're not going to use it. And I was like, whatever, Jason. Well, I bought it, and it sat in my closet for years. Like, it literally <laughs> sat in there, like, at least a year. And so he was partially right. And then, I don't know, I just was like seeing all this stuff online and, oh, I remember what it was. So I had that kit and I was telling my parents about it and my dad's like, oh, I have your grandfather's camera. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. And yeah. so my dad mailed me my grandfather's camera and that is, and I was like, well, I, I kind of want to figure this out and uh, shoot a couple rolls through it just for fun, you know? And then I kind of just, I messed up a lot of things and the, the aperture on that camera is sticky. So mm -hmm. the shutter stays open too long. And so a lot of the images were blurry and, and the, the Olympus light meter was out and inaccurate. So it was kind of like learning how to meter and I'm like, wow, this is kind of hard. And then I got a couple scans back from the lab, the first scans. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I actually, this is actual photo. And I was like, <laughs> this is cool. And then it kind of like, I was back to where I was when I first started learning photography. It was kind of a new challenge. It was fun. And I liked the way the images look. Right. So nowadays, I have all this awesome digital camera stuff. 
and I use it when I for my paid work. Like I just shot portraits for a um, album release. Okay. For a singer named Jordan Rowe, I just did that a couple of days ago, and so I shot everything digital, and then I'll bring my film camera with me and shoot a roll or two at the end of it. Right. And I've gotten some really cool stuff doing that. And I've made a lot of mistakes doing that as well. But I always <laughs> have the digital to fall back on. But right. And so I love doing that at portraits. And shooting concerts on film is tough, but I'm getting better at it. I've only done it a few times, but I'm getting more comfortable pushing film and metering and all that stuff is easier for me now. And now like I do so much traveling. There's always things to photograph. Sure. And uh, a lot of people that I know that are photographers, they love to shoot. But, you know, if you're you're just commuting to work every day and on the weekends, you're like kind of doing chores and catching up. It's like you don't really have time to go anywhere and shoot stuff. But right. like, I'm blessed with the ability, like I'm always going places for work and there's always cool things to photograph. So I'm always shooting. And I found that I was bringing the digital camera around and that was fun but i really enjoy shooting film and i think people are more interested in the cameras too because they're neat and they're old and they don't even look like a camera sometimes right you know um you just show someone like a hasselblad it's like it's just a big square like is that a camera like <laughs> everyone's used to like camera phones or like a dslr setup or like this mirrorless camera right here which i'm holding right r5 with the 7200 on it like oh yeah but people are interested in being shot with film because a lot of people haven't been photographed on film since they're kids or some never have or you know depending how old they are but um it's really renewed my interest in photography and i've started shooting in a different style than i used to right because like when i first started shooting it was like like concerts and product photography and portraits were right. like my favorite things and then now i'm kind of becoming more bold and i'm like photographing like the people at the the festivals and shows like going up to fans and saying hey like i really love your luke combs shirt and cowboy hat or something kind of kind of take your picture and doing more of like sort of portraits of strangers or street photography and stuff like that right kind of in like a more traditional way, like how folks used to do back in the day. Okay. Well, I, I've seen you shooting a Bessa R. Is that your main camera at the moment? Yeah. Um, I love the Bessa. It's a, like a poor man's Leica. Right. So I actually did just buy a Leica, but uh, it's not here yet. It'll get here tomorrow. Okay. And awesome. uh, so I'm really excited for that. So but the Bessa is... It's a best R2 35 mil rangefinder, right. you know, film. And uh, it's really fun to shoot. It's super small and portable. And uh, there's that classic quote. It's like the best camera you have is the one you have on you. Right. And so 99% of the time, it's like my iPhone. But this camera is so small and it's just got the 35 on there. I can just bring it with me everywhere. Right. For sure. And so if, if I'm hiking or if I'm doing whatever it's easy to bring with you and which means it gets used more right that makes sense well yeah. you, you you mentioned a while ago i meant to ask you you said you know you travel a lot do you, 
how much free time do you get if you're on the road and, and roll into a new city to just go out and walk around and explore a little bit? It's hard to say. Um, yeah. it, it really depends. Generally, mm -hmm. on, in a very general sense, I will, you know, if I wake up at like 10 a.m., then I might have a couple hours until sound check. And let's say right. we sound check at one or three or something, and a couple hours of that. And then we don't play till nine. Right. So I could, usually I can do whatever. Right. And whatever for me means photograph the openers. Right. But like recently we're in Quebec uh, City and we didn't have a sound check. We just, our crew did a line check, plug everything, make sure it works. Cool. Next band. So I didn't have anything to do all day until we played the show. So I spent the entire day walking around. Okay. And, um, that was really fun too. Sure. And I went, I went to a bookstore. You know, this guy's selling books on the street. And I said, Hey, I bought a book from him. I said, May I take a picture? He's like, Oh, sure. And then so I took a picture of him from his bookstore and just, you know, have fun with things like that. Right. Wherever the venue is, is probably in most places, it's going to be like in a downtown area with some foot traffic and stuff going on. Yeah. I think, um, Generally, we're either playing like downtown arenas, you know, like if we we're playing in, let's say, Boston, we played TD Bank Garden, uh, which is downtown. And I can get on the the T and go wherever and see like when I was there, I had my vessel with me and I did a tour of Fenway with our group. And so I photographed Fenway and all my old stomping grounds and stuff. Right. Uh, but sometimes we play festivals. And it's just like out in a field somewhere, like Country <laughs> Thunder, Arizona, or whatever. It's just like it's just a huge field, right? But that's different because I would walk around and and see people like playing, you know, beer pong at nine a.m. or you know, sleeping <laughs> on top of trailers or just wild shenanigans of you know, funny signs, right? Like, so that's another thing to photograph too. And plus, there's always the bands to photograph, which I enjoy. That's true. Yeah, Rock the South is just like uh, twenty minutes uh, north of me. Oh yeah, I remember. I felt I fell on stage that show because it was raining oh, wow. so hard. Yeah, I, I remember the weather was not ideal to be having a big oh, was, outdoor festival. It was pouring. It was pouring rain. So one of the other things you've done, sort of photography related. I mean, you mentioned the portraits and commission work and that sort of stuff, but you actually have done a couple of music videos for Kanan Smith. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. I have done a couple of music videos, and for Kelly Rose, I did one also. Okay. And I just finished editing a, a video last night. Not a music video. It's actually behind the scenes for a music video. So I've done some video stuff, and I'm kind of green at it, but <laughs> getting better. Right. Well, is did you enjoy it? Is that something you want to explore a little bit more? Um, I love shooting video. Right. And it's a lot of work so if i'm going to be doing video i have to be compensated well for it sure and it's not something i'm i'm necessarily doing for fun like photography you know if if someone's like hey like let's say my bandmate rob wolford is going to go play a show in nashville he's going to sing the songs acoustic if he said hey come grab a couple of photos and i'll buy you a beer i'd be like done deal <laughs> um but if, if rob was like Hey, come film it, the whole thing, and edit it, and put transitions, and 
you know, sync the music, and I'd be like, mm, maybe, maybe not. Right. You know? <laughs> but I, did, I will have to say, you know, I was editing this video last night. It's a three-minute video, and I, I was there for 12 hours shooting clips. So how do you get, you know, a whole day's worth of shooting down to three minutes? Right. That's hard. But <laughs> once I did, it, I was I felt really good about myself, and it was a rewarding experience. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter audio or video or even just photography. That that sitting in front of the computer part is my least favorite of of any of it. So here's one thing too: is why I've really enjoyed film mm -hmm. is my workflow is way faster. Right. And and slower, of course, because that's the film <laughs> developed. But right. let you know, I shoot a, a photo, and I'm not against editing film photos at all. Like I edit my film photos. Right. When you scan it, you know the scanner's making preferences. That as I'm not a purist at all in any way, but right. I am editing photos way less on film because they just have a look already. In digital, right. it's just like I'm like, all right, well, I got to tone this a certain way and blah 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 but with with film it's like cool i i download the scans then i put them in photo mechanic then i enter all the metadata and all the tags like if it's quebec city all right you know quebec city canada the date the time uh the film stock the camera that kind of stuff so if i need to find the photo later i can search through my archive and find it fast right and then i bring it in the lightroom and then it's really just if, if the white balance needs to be tweaked, sometimes I tweak the white balance, um, maybe a little bit of sharpening, and then just tone curve just to bring the blacks down a little bit and, and boost contrast if need be. Right. You know, because the, you think of a, the negative is being scanned and to the right exposure. Right. And if I'm shooting a very high contrast scene, like for example, uh, a concert where 90% of the frame is black and then there's just a person in a bright spotlight. Right. The the scanner tries to average that out, which right. can comes with a which means my highlights get all weird and then my blacks are lifted even more so on film. So I have to go through and tweak that on the tone curve. And then if I crop, which I haven't been cropping recently, not because I'm against cropping. <laughs> I just I don't know. I've just been trying to be more like aware of how i'm holding the camera right. you know with the r5 i can just go and, <laughs> and i grab the photo i want and i tweak it and i could warp it and right. do everything and with the film it's like okay i'm taking a picture of a building so if i hold my camera and i aim it up i'm going to have you know keystone problems so i'm trying to make sure my, my camera's straight and i want to get my frames everything right and i take my time and then i finally push that button and i love the shutter sound <laughs> on that camera and i love the rewind and it's so satisfying and so fun it really is it really yeah. is well i i did want to ask you about a couple more things before sure. we go uh, you know we're on a podcast and you actually do a podcast uh with, I do. with your buddy uh, nick tressler the raised rowdy podcast uh, so tell us a little bit about that so we do um interviews with artists mm -hmm. and then i'll play a tune with them at the end right it's generally like the format if there is a format uh pretty <laughs> loose but you know we yeah. heard, we'll either do it here or at, at nikki's house and he's got like a podcast room or whatever 
Right. And so we bring artists in that are sometimes really new and but generally kind of on the cusp of breaking out and, you know, friends of ours and and just discuss, you know, whatever, kind of like how we're doing now, but not as much of like. How do you start, you know, right. where you, that kind of stuff more about the music and getting to it and then funny stories on the road like <laughs> or just different things like Dylan Marlowe came on and he talked about how he's been working with a vocal coach so we talked about you know what it's like to study music and right. to invest in yourself by paying for a teacher you know Kanan Smith came on and we talked about beer for an hour you know it's like just you right. never know Right. No, it, it, it is. Uh, number one, I, I would say, you know, it is fun listening. It sounds like you are having a good time and, and it's exactly like you described it. But also, you know, you're catching these people at a great time. I know. Actually, just today I was driving in Goodlettsville, which is a suburb of Nashville. And um, I drove by this liquor store and I was like, man, that place looks really familiar. And I couldn't think of it. Why? And then I realized, oh, I've been to that liquor store before because... <laughs> I was in Laney Laney Wilson's music video and we shot a scene at that that liquor store. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that's why. And right. uh and so Lenny was on our podcast. Right. Before uh things a man ought to know officially went number one. I think it was charting really well, but she was a really fun interview. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I guess that sort of is a good segue because I wanted sort of to end things on a high note if possible, because <laughs> you have been, you know, you're, you're in Nashville, you're around all these people who are looking to do something big, hopefully, you know, if everything mm -hmm. right, if everything breaks right, but you know, some, a lot of things do have to fall into place. And so the best you can do is kind of position yourself to be able to take advantage of opportunities that might come along and, and for those people who have been able to maximize those opportunities, have you noticed anything that they have in common in terms of their, you know, their philosophy or their approach or just oh, their attitude God. about it? What kind of advice can you give people? <laughs> you know, I was just on a phone call this morning with a, a guy from my high school mm -hmm. and he, and he, he was a couple of years younger than me, but, he you know was a musician and then a real estate agent and just kind of life gets in the way as it does sometimes with people trying to pursue their careers and he's right. trying to get back into a new sort of asking me this a similar question and i i would say like one thing that is common is definitely like perseverance mm -hmm. like you have to be in town to get the call you right. it's like you can't just half-ass it right um so my buddy was considering moving to Nashville. He's like, yeah, just if you ever hear of like a, a big major label artist that needs a guitar player, like, let me know. And that'll help me move. I'm like, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> that's definitely like, you gotta be, you gotta have boots on the ground. Right. And you have to be doing the thing. Another thing too, is like knowing what you want to do. And that's probably the hardest thing too, is, you know, like, you talking about let's say making the music industry whether it's as a player or whatever it's like you have to decide what am i here to do who am i here to work for you know if it's an artist it's like you have to like know what your sound is and right. are you going to be chasing trends or setting trends 
Or, you know, if you're trying to be a band guy like me, like a hired musician, hired gun, then it's like, think about what the job is you want. Who do you want to work for? And right. what would that person want in a hired gun and try to be that? I know that kind of sounds simple, but I feel like my attitude was different. You know, I was the artist, guitar player who could play for other people. And then I kind of changed my attitude to being like, what can I bring to the table for an artist that would convince them to hire me the most? Right. You know? Right. Okay. Well, that's, that is a great insight there, Kurt. I do. I hope so. I hope that makes sense, it. but it does. It does. And, and appreciate your time. I know you got a gig actually coming up here in a little bit so we can wrap up, but we're, where can uh, people kind of see what you've been up to? What are, you know, your website or your socials or anything like that you want to get out there? Uh, actually, I just put a couple new photos up on my website, okay. which um, I always forget to update my actual website, uh, which is just <laughs> KurtOzon.com. Right. You know, I'm, I'm a musician first and foremost, but my website is mainly dedicated to my photography. Right. So uh, just last night, I was putting a couple of my favorite shots on there so billy do me a favor and check it out and why don't you give my portfolio a review and you let me know what you think <laughs> i'll do it and um but if you guys want to follow me on instagram or whatever else i use it's just <laughs> i always just use the same handle and that's just kurt ozon 251 okay and that's a chord pro chord progression yeah 251 <laughs> exactly yep <laughs> did you know um, that or? i think you have mentioned it on on your podcast ah, okay cool but no oh, i did so i did not know it pri uh, prior to that oh okay interesting well good you did yeah. your homework <laughs> that's right so and and one other thing i guess for anybody who might be interested in checking out some of the music you've played on are there any particular songs you would encourage people to check out to hear some of your playing as like a studio musician sure or, or just something you enjoyed or or had well, fun I will, doing i will give this answer because i'm going into the studio with this artist tomorrow morning but i played on a lot of or most of billy uh, sorry <laughs> bailey zimmerman's music okay and he's a young kid he's like 21 or 22 or something he's really young and just started singing literally like a year ago and already has a record deal and a couple of the songs that i played on have caught fire and are really doing well and i was looking at the list of today it was like top five most played newest country songs or whatever right. and number one was the morgan wallen song number two was a luke song and number five was the bailey zimmerman song that i played on awesome and so i was like oh my gosh like Kind of Love We Make is a song I play all the time with Luke. And then this other one is the one I got to play on. So um, Fall in Love by Bailey Zimmerman and Between a Rock and a Hard Place by Billy um, are two songs that are catching fire. And I hope they go to country radio. And um, yeah, so hopefully it all works out. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And, and thanks again so much for your time, Kurt. I appreciate you uh, sharing some of your insights with us. Absolutely. Anytime, Billy. 
want to thank Kurt Ozon again for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with me about some of his experiences with music and photography. Please do check out the links in the show notes for just a sampling of some of his work. Thanks also to Mike Gutterman for our theme song, Timeless. Mike's music for productions is available at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. Of course, thanks as always to the team over at Sunny16 for hosting the podcast. If you have an idea for something you'd like to chat about, please get in touch at sunny16presents at gmail.com. As John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.